Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read now from the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Uh, it's page 211 in the church Bibles, in the blue Bibles, um, or you can follow along. It'll be behind me on the screen. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Thank you. We cut the Bible reading just to that point, just when it was getting exciting. There's suspense in this passage, and it's something we want to dig into today. Um, how about we pray, and yeah, hopefully pray that God will speak to each of us uh, and what's going on in our lives. Dear Father God, just thank you for letting us take these moments in our week here with you, with our church family. And Lord, uh, as we wrestle with things, each of us in our own different situations... We do pray that you would speak to us through the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and teach us your ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What happens when we pray, we ask God to help us out, we ask God specifically, and we get nothing? Nothing happens. Things go quiet. Who will answer our prayers? See, in this story of Ruth, we get these few characters, and it's been a real roller coaster ride. We've had a few weeks in this, so this is the, the story so far, in a sense. But you can feel the emotion behind what's going on. See, Naomi was married to a guy uh, called Elimelech. They moved away out of um, Bethlehem, so away from God, away from God's people to a place called Moab. It was a bad move. Elimelech dies, their two sons die, uh, their sons left uh, daughter in laws. And Naomi is now the mother-in-law, left without her husband, she's buried her sons as well, and left with nothing, and she comes back to Bethlehem, back to God, back to his people. That's a good thing. And we're left at the end of chapter 1 with a little hint of this is good because it said, ah, it's start of harvest season. So maybe as widows in their time, uh, very dependent on other people, harvest season was a good time to be around there's plenty of food and then uh, Ruth the daughter-in-law 
goes out to glean in the field to pick up the scraps to try and get some food to live off. And it just so happens, the writer says, it just so happens she ends up in the field of this man, Boaz, who we find out is a good man, godly man, very kind and considerate. He's also a distant relative, which means he's a kinsman redeemer, which means he might be able to marry them and bring, he might be able to be their protector provider as their redeemer their kinsman redeemer. Things are looking good. And in fact, by the end of that day, Boaz has had lunch with Ruth. You know, there seemed to be a connection. They're both caring for each other. Boaz gives her plenty of grain to take home. To feed. We want you not just to have a bit of food for today and tomorrow, lots of food. So he gives her heaps of food. She goes back home to her mother-in-law. Look at all this thing. We've met this beautiful man called Boaz. He's great. Uh, and he's given us all this food. Things are looking up. Like, God has answered our prayers that we will have a redeemer, uh, somebody who will look after us, be our protector, provider. But then at the end of chapter 2, we see this happened for the next six weeks or so till the end of harvest season. Nothing changed. So you kind of go, oh, hang on a minute, what is going on? If you're following the romance story, I'm a bit of a romantic at heart. I like the old romance movie. Shrek is one of my favourites. What he did to Fiona was to pursue her, fall in love. It's a great story of, you know, we know how romance works. This is kind of a romance story, but it's also how is God working through these people in answering their prayers to be cared for, protected and provided for? Because now, end of chapter 2, we hit this, it's coming to the end of harvest season. Naomi, uh, Ruth would come home each and every day, and Naomi's going, oh, how's your day? She said, oh, good. Did you see Boaz today? Yep. Would anything exciting happen? Did he talk to you? What happened? No, nothing. Nothing happened. And there's this expectation they're going to get together. This is going to be a, a happy ending. It's all going to work out great. But every day, Naomi, uh, Ruth comes home and nothing. Nothing's happened. So where is this romance going? Where's the happy ending going? Who will answer their prayers? They've prayed it and they've, they're better than they were, but it's kind of this, what's going on? So here we find this situation. It's actually a situation that we often find ourselves in too. But we, we pray for stuff and we go on this roller coaster. Could God be opening the doors for this way or that way? Or is he shutting the doors for this? Should I push harder or should I give up? Is, it, should, is God encouraging me to go this way or is he telling me to back off what is God doing and how will my prayers be answered is it God or should I be proactive it's this tension whether it's whether it's romance finding a partner whether it's having kids whether it's getting the right job whether it's moving to the right location finding the right church all these things we pray for and ask God to help for and sometimes we just don't get the direction and the answers that we're hoping for how much should we push into that how much do we just take it as a no from God this is the dilemma. It's coming to the end of the harvest season. Ruth, who's been given this position to, to glean and to work with uh, Boaz's women, uh, it's coming to an end. Will this be the end of the, the friendship, the relationship, and end of that possibility altogether? Not if Naomi's got something to do with it, the mother-in-law. This is what she comes up with. This is where we get into the passage. One day, so we're coming to the end of harvest season, that told us at the end of chapter 2. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, 
I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. The thing I love about this story, these are real characters. They're everyday characters like us. And I think if you're a single person in this congregation, you could probably associate with Ruth at this point because what's everybody else trying to do? Trying to pair you up with someone else. And this seems to be what Naomi's doing. You know, I need to find you a husband. And I'm going to take it upon myself to find you a husband. And this is what she does. But in fact, Naomi's taken responsibility for this. The mother-in-law's taken responsibility for this because this is something she's prayed for Ruth earlier on. Back in chapter 1, in verse 9, she was praying. She said, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husband and to me. Dead husbands, because she was talking to two daughter-in-laws at that point. And to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. In that culture, we're talking about 1300 BC. Uh, if you're a single woman, particularly a widow, you're very vulnerable. You've got nobody to protect you. People can take advantage of you. Nobody to provide for you so you can starve. So to be in the home of another man, or, you know, to have that protector provider, was very important in that culture. So she's saying, look, I'm praying for you, that the Lord will provide this for you. But what should she do at this point? Go, well, I prayed it. Well, it's up to God now. It's nice that she met Boaz, but now it's like, do we sit back and do nothing? Whatever will be, will be. It's all in God's plan, God's providence. It can sound very pious when we do that. and th There's an element we need to take on board, that attitude. But piety can disguise maybe laziness sometimes. I prayed it, so it means I'm not going to do anything about it. That's not Naomi, the mother-in-law. She's going to do something about it. She's got a plan. She's going to pray. She's prayed the prayer. She's come up with a, um, a plan to, to do something about it. There's no... This, this is kind of contrasted to chapter 2. Chapter 2, Ruth goes out into the field and it just so happened she ends up in the field of Boaz, a good God moment that she meets this godly man. There's no it just so happened in this chapter. It's a Naomi saying, I need to do something about this. This is not working out very well. I prayed it. I prayed that she would meet a good godly man and marry him. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to plan and plot and pray and plan that this will happen. And this is what she does. She comes up with her plan. She says, now, Boaz, with whose women you've, you've worked, so she's got the connection there, he's a relative of ours. That's his able to be a redeemer, to marry, to keep them in the family. That's how the culture worked. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing, on the threshing floor. So it's the end of the harvest season. They've got all their bundles of grain. To, to, uh, what they're doing now is thrashing out the seed, separating it from all the, the garbage. So they've got this pile of seed at the end. Here's the plan. Wash. Put on perfume. Get dressed in your best clothes. So show him. Get dressed up. Show your femininity. Get dressed up. Get his attention. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. A bit of a counsel from an older woman, I think. She's been married before to Elimelech. Men are most happy when they've had a good feed and a drink. They've finished their day's work. He's going to be very content and he'll lie down to sleep. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. 
because you don't want to get this mixed up. You don't want to go with lie down beside one of the other men on the threshing floor. Know the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. Uncover his feet because she's not saying because they want to sort out where's the relationship at. Is Boaz going to come to the party? Is he interested in marrying her? She could just go up to him, shake him on the shoulder and say, we need to talk. But no, no, no. We're going to uncover his feet. His feet are going to get cold. He'll wake up, he'll stir. And then she says, he will tell you what to do. This is, I'm not sure how you feel about this. There's two particular things that are very... I would say troublesome in this passage and this is one of them it's the instructions i mean this is not something i told our daughter to do sorry to my son-in-law Lockie, love him but we didn't tell ash this you know would you tell your daughter to go and do something like this this is a very dangerous plan because what goes on in the threshing floor at nights has a reputation at nights on the threshing floor because you think about it the men they've worked hard all day they've made their money so they're cashed up and they've they're had a few drinks at the end of the day they're lying on the threshing floor it's when the prostitutes come out because they can make a buck because they know the blokes are feeling good too they're, they're cashed up they're a bit loose so the prostitutes come wandering down on the threshing floor at that time too this is a dangerous plan it's also other countries other other um countries like moab where ruth is from They've, uh, they worship other gods and they worship other gods in a way of thankfulness, uh, the fertility gods, for their big harvest. So they would actually, on the threshing floor, at the end of the harvest, and this is uh, the book of Hosea actually refers to this, they would uh, invite prostitutes in on the threshing floor to, to have some sort of celebration to their gods. So this whole thing, threshing floor at night, this is a dangerous thing to do. As well as, but for somebody like Boaz, who's a godly man with a good reputation, as well as Ruth, um, who is very godly as well, she's got a good reputation. If she goes down there at night, things could go bad in other ways. What happens if they end up sleeping together? Her plan, so she's, uh, only certain people can marry them because of their, their network, can be their kinsman redeemer. Boaz is not first in line for that. He's a redeemer. There's a closer one. But if Boaz sleeps with her, that ruins her future because she's already she's been sleeping around. And why would the, the kinsman redeemer go and redeem her if she's been with Boaz? But Boaz, what if Boaz just sleeps with her, gets up in the morning, goes, I don't want a piece of that anymore, and moves on? Like, this could ruin everything for her future as well as the mother-in-law Naomi's future. There's danger in this, not just for her safety, for her reputation, but even her future marriage, if this goes wrong. I'm not sure what you would do, what you think of Naomi's advice at this point in time. Ruth, you've got to say, is, uh, if she does this, she's very obedient and trustworthy to Naomi's plan. But actually, when you take a step back, I think you'll see that Naomi's actually made a calculated risk. I've prayed the prayer I want this to work out for my daughter-in-law, Ruth. But what do we know about Boaz? He's been with us the last few weeks. He's a good, godly man. He's a good protector. So he's looked after Ruth in the past with her safety, kept her away from the other men and with, with his girls. He's provided for her in abundance. He's looked after her. He's been kind to her. He's just done everything right for her. So it feels like Naomi's done 
I calculated risk, worked it out, done the balance. Actually, if we're going to trust anybody around here, it's Boaz. So to actually uh, to be this, this woman all dressed up on the threshing floor and to be told he will tell you what to do makes you very, very vulnerable. But actually, I think Naomi's saying, if we can trust anybody, it's Boaz. We're trusting him in this. It'll work out. That's all right for Naomi to say. Uh, Ruth's got possibly more to lose. But then we see, that's if you were Ruth, would you, would, if you were Ruth, would you go along with the plan? It appears she does. She trusts Naomi's plan. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answers. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Had the bath, got the perfume, got dressed up, went down there at night, waited till Boaz had had something to eat, something good to eat, had his drink, he's feeling happy, he's gone lay down. What's going to happen next? When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far side of the end of the grain pile. He does that to protect the grain because he's done all the threshing, he's got his big pile of grain, doesn't want any thieves to come in, so they sleep beside the grain. Ruth watches where he sleeps. She approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. The suspense is building. How's this going to play out? Are you a bit nervous? I'm a bit nervous for Ruth, how this is going to play out. So how is Boaz going to respond? Well, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. You can imagine, he's just snoozing, being on guard, whether it's his cold feet, wakes up, smells a perfume, sees this beautiful woman at his feet. How's he going to respond? Because he hasn't had the best reputation, in my interpretation, he hasn't had the best reputation in trying to woo uh, Ruth. At one stage he forgot her name. So how does he say this? Who are you, he asked. I'm not sure whether he even recognised her at this point. It's not the sort of welcome greeting that, that Ruth might have been hoping for. Let's put it that way. She's hoping this, you know, played it over in her mind. This is going to go great. But now, who are you? It's not going so well. But Ruth has her speech planned out. And she's got three things to say. Like three arrows she's going to shoot at him. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Now, there's a few things. So this, this story dates back a long time ago. It was originally written in the Hebrew. So we're going to learn a few things about some of the Hebrew words and meanings and traditions. Uh, some of your Bibles at this point might say, I am your maid servant, Ruth. Because the, the word for servant here is not your normal word for servant. It actually is kind of code for a servant who is single. So her first arrow, pow, straight at him, going, hey, you know I'm single. I'm available just saying. The second thing, she says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Uh, it's not just a saying like, I'm a bit cold out here, can you cover me up? It's another saying that, uh, saying, it's, it's a, a saying, a euphemism to say, to be a protector, provider. So we actually saw this, Boaz prayed for Ruth in chapter 2. He prayed that God would spread his wings over Ruth. Uh, and it's actually spread your wings and uh, spread your garment is the same kind of saying in the Hebrew. And it means to, to protect somebody, to be their uh, provider, 
to look after them, to spread their wings, and to spread your garment has the same meaning. So it's kind of, hey, I'm available, and can you look after me? I'm single, can you marry me, is the kind of context, because you've got one more arrow to shoot. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, you are eligible to marry me. It's in that culture, only the few people, and you are one of them. I'm single. I'm looking for you to be the answer to your prayer. You prayed it. So can you be the answer to your prayer to be a guardian redeemer for me, the protector provider? And you're able to do it. She's not proposing to him. It's not like a wedding proposal. It's kind of. It's more like she's proposing that he proposes to her to get married and be the protector provider for her. She's putting it all out there. And you've got to feel, so I want to take you to another, another level in this, the heat of the moment in what's going on here. Because this is not just a story. We often tell stories and just give information. This happened, this happened, this happened. There's a lot of uh, wordplay going on here in the Hebrew that makes this scene very steamy. Uh, there's a deliberate sexual tension going on that engages bet between these two. The way the story is told. Uh, let me just run you through a few. Uh, the way the story is told, uh, the preparation, the little dress, like dress in your nicest dress. In the Hebrew, it also means dress very little. Show off your femininity, she says. Lie at his feet. The Hebrew word for feet is the same as genitals. Uh, gives that sort of hint. Uh, there's lots of... The story here, I'm not sure whether you notice, it's no longer Ruth and Boaz, but there's a man lying down in the middle of the night and now a woman is at his feet. It's just man and woman type language. Uh, it's at night time, it's on the threshing floor, kept being repeated. Saying they're laying down is eight times in this passage. This man and woman laying down at night on the threshing floor with her not wearing much. Like it's, it's set up with this sexual tension. He's happy, she's dressed up for a party, it's in the middle of the night. How's this going to play out? Is a part of us as a listener or a reader going, what's going to happen next? Most, all, all the commentaries I read, all scholars agree, this story is deliberately told to build the sexual tension in this, between the two. And the reason, or the best reason I found, is this moment will highlight their great fall, or to show how great their honour is towards each other. Are they going to, uh, and we've already explained, it's out of line, out of order for her future, for them to be sleeping with each other, but there's a sexual tension going on there that how can they resist? Will it be the working, the making of them, that they're going to show their honourable couple being in this situation, or is it going to be the great fall of them? that they've messed things up. Uh, the writer sets the scene and leaves us. What's going to happen? What's going to happen next? Boaz, what are you hoping Boaz does? He's a man of godliness, a man of honour. He prays for her. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Saying, we talked about this last week, this whole blessing thing. May the Lord show kindness on you, he's saying. He's not making any move on her at all. But he sees her, knows who she is now. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. 
You see, it's interesting. She's going to him, asking him, can you show kindness to me? Can you take me under your wing? Can you be my protector provider? But how does he respond? The Lord bless you. And actually, you're being so kind to me in coming to me like this. You have not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. What are you saying? There's some hints here that he is an older man. And there's some hints here that she's a very beautiful, attractive younger woman who could get any man she wanted. Pretty much that's what he's saying. You could have done that. You could have chased them. But you've come to me. He's an older man. And yeah, paint the picture. She's beautiful. She's calm. She's wearing a party dress. He's possibly balding, possibly getting the middle-aged podge. He's possibly not looking his sharpest. He's probably wearing a flanny and thinks they're trendy like I do. He's breaking down a little bit. But this statement's showing that she's not just after a good time. She could get anybody she wants if she wanted a good time. But no, no, she's after stability. She's after a future. She's after somebody who's going to lead her in her godliness. And this is what Boaz is coming through. You could have had anybody, but you've come to me. You've come to me. But is he going to come through with her request? What's he going to say? Verse 11. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. See, there's this other problem too. A good Israelite should not marry a Jew. Uh, not marry a Jew. A good Israelite should not marry, so it's only a Jew, should not marry a Moabite. Moabites worship other gods and they're not trusted. But she's a Moabite. But he's going... You're of good reputation. You've been living with us. We've seen how you've taken on the God of the Bible. We've seen how you've looked after your mother-in-law, Naomi. You have good reputation. Like, he's sort of explaining, I'm comfortable in marrying you. But there's a problem, and it's a big problem. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. That's the fact. He can't just marry her and move on. There's an order of doing things. So does this mean Boaz has prayed for her, uh, that God would protect and provide her, that God would spread his wings over her? She's saying, hey, you prayed it, why don't you answer it? And he's going, yeah, I did, but actually it's not my job. I can't do that. A bit like what Naomi said earlier, uh, or could have said, it's like, whatever will be, will be. God has shut the door on this. I can't do anything. But he doesn't. He's going, yeah, I did pray for it. And yeah, I do want to fulfill my prayer. I genuinely pray for it. I want to make it happen. So what does he say? Stay here for the night. And in the morning, stay here for the night. He's for her protection. It'll sort of go on a bit later. Uh, and in the morning, if he wants to, this other closer kingsman redeemer, <clears throat> if he wants to do this duty as your guardian redeemer, good. That's the answer to his prayer, that she will have a guardian redeemer, a a, somebody, a protector, provider. We'll sort it out tomorrow. Either he will do it, I'll let him redeem you, but if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. That's the plan. See, he's not going to step back. He's going to, okay, I'm going to plan, I'm going to plot, I'm going to, I've prayed the prayer, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to make this happen. Well, as far as he's able to. So what happens? So they lay... Ah, she lay at his feet until morning. So actually, with all this sexual build-up, there is no mention of any sexual activity at all 
In fact, it goes so close to, to actually cut it off like that. She lay at his feet until morning. Nothing happened. They are people of honour, of godliness. They're not just there, uh, didn't have this great fall, not just there for a good time. But she got up before anyone could be recognised. It's a just start of light. And he said, uh, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor for the reasons I explained earlier. This looks bad. Reputations are important. In fact, if you read... It'd actually be helpful when we get to the end of Ruth to read over it again because it's often referred to, it talks about Ruth's reputation, how good a reputation she has. It also repeats how good a Boaz reputation he's got. And it's not only to, that's because of their actions, they've act wisely and godly, but they're seen to be acting wisely and godly. So there's no trying to hide secrets. Stay here. I don't want you wandering home in the middle of the night in that dress. Stay here with me. But as soon as it's safe, go, go home. But we don't want anybody to see because they'll assume that all this stuff's happened. It's just not true. No one must know. He also said to her, and this is Boaz, he keeps blessing and blessing and blessing, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her head. Then she went back to a town. It's like, don't go back empty-handed. You guys are the widows. We should be loving and looking after. I'm the provider. Here, take some more grain with you to your mother-in-law. Uh, so she does that. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, they've got to talk about it. What happened? Can you imagine Naomi at home that night? Come up with this plan, put my vulnerable daughter-in-law out there. What happened? Tell me. How did it go, my daughter? And she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Like, this is good future son-in-law potential, right? Here's a, here's a gift from him. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. She knows the plan has gone to work. She knows how a man works, obviously. He was uh, happy, content, he'd done his day's work, had a good feed, had a drink, had a good sleep, and now he's, he wants to make this happen. She can tell that Boaz is going to sort this out. But we do leave the end of chapter 3, this is how chapter 3 ends, again, very vulnerable. They've come up with a plan. So far, it looks to be working. But they're two widows living alone without a protector provider. Is it going to work out? We have to wait till the next chapter. Wait for, wait for that day to come. We find out in the next chapter. So it's still on the edge. Now, in this whole chapter, there's so many lessons. So many lessons. There's uh, talking about how our actions matter, uh, particularly in uh, righteousness and reputations, that matters. Having compassion for others matters. Meaning your prayers matters. Trusting God and His plan uh, matters. There's all these, so many lessons in this chapter, but I just want to land on one. And that is understanding God's role in your prayers. They had prayed it. And they've got to a point where it seemed like God wasn't answering it. How is God at play in these situations? Because there was a dilemma here that uh, they pray for all of these things, but as they're not working out, do we sit back and wait for God? 
Or do we get on the front foot and try and make things happen? It's a dilemma that we often find ourselves in. And we can look at different passages in the Bible to, to see, to try and understand how God is working in our plans. The Apostle Paul writes uh, in the New Testament uh, how he planned to go to another town, but God had shut the door on that plan. And Paul said, I'm going a different way then, because God had shut the door. It's okay, God shuts the door on some things, opens the door on other things. But then Jesus said, hey, if you pray for something meaningfully and you want that prayer to be fulfilled and it's not happening, keep praying it. He told the story about the persistent widow who kept praying, uh, kept asking the judge, kept coming back and back, nagging the judge before the judge would relent and answer her request. Jesus says, do that in your prayers. So keep praying and praying and praying keep praying don't give up on those things it's just like do we walk away do we keep praying do we push do we it is a dilemma and it's actually a thing that i don't think we can say hey here's the answer there's one hard and fast rule do this we actually need to work on what do we know what do we know and not speculate on there's a couple of things that we can pull out that we know how god works with our prayers the first one is uh, God loves it when we mean our prayers and we mean it enough to become the answer to our prayers. So we had Naomi in chapter 1. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She didn't just pray it and then walk away. She's like, I can help. I can help answer this prayer. I can help find you another husband. We had Boaz. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. This is his prayer for Ruth. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You've come to trust God, that God will be your protector provider. But then when Ruth comes to him, saying, you can, you can cover me with your wing, you can be my protector provider. He's like, yeah, I can. I can do that. There's a hurdle in the road. But he becomes the answer to his prayer as well. And this kind of, this theme goes on. Uh, there's a New Testament passage in James, James chapter 2, verse 15. He just tells us, uh, paints a scenario. Suppose if a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Bit of a saying back then. But then does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? What are you doing? Praying the prayer, but you don't actually do anything about it when you're in a position to do something about it so there's this obligation god loves our prayers but he loves it when we own our prayers enough to become the solution to our prayers that we care about enough that we can be part of the answer but there's also on this other side god loves it when we pray to him and trust him as our protector provider and we see this picture when Jesus is walking around and he sees Jerusalem, Jerusalem are Israel, they're God's people. But they're not turning to God, they're not listening to God. And he says this prayer uh, out loud, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those, who sent, uh, those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather, you, gather your children together as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings. Same allusion to this Old Testament saying that come under the wings and you are not willing. See, sometimes there's things going on in our life that we want and will pursue, but we don't actually trust God. We don't trust him enough to even pray to him and ask him to be a part of the solution. 
So it's actually the opposite to the other one. It's not just all about actions. Well, if I really want it, I should go and get it. No, no, are you trusting God? Are you giving it to God? Are you praying to God? Because He wants to be involved in this as well, and He loves it when you come to Him. By not listening to Him, He's going, that's just the wrong answer. You're not running to Him. I long to cover you with my wisdom. I love to be your protective provider. I love to do what's right for you. But are you going to come to me in prayer and trust me? Two truths shine out here from Scripture. Be genuine with our prayers, enough to actually ask the question, can we be the solution to our prayers? But also to trust God, bring it to Him. Don't just go, well, if God's not doing anything, I won't pray about it anymore. No, no, pray more. Involve Him in the process. I think there's a tension here that I found pulled together by a guy called William Carey. He lived about 200 years ago. And he said this, um, this statement, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Now, in his context, uh, he was a Christian guy, he was a preacher in England, and he wanted to go out and take the gospel out into other countries. He was particularly passionate about India. Went to India, translated the Bible into 44 different languages. I said, this is just over 200 years ago. Um, set up a printing press, pumping out all these Bibles and just teaching people about Jesus in India. And because of the diversity, 44 different languages. Things happened. Uh, he was married three times because each time he'd marry uh, and his wife would die. Uh, he needed a companion. So he'd marry and die, marry and die. Like, all while he was living in India. He'd just go, this is just getting too hard for me and the kids, let's just go home. But no, no, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. His printing press, the whole library that he'd built up to, to distribute all his books, burnt down. It was, they said it took him six months to recover that, uh, the, the stock that he had. A lot of work. He's going, this is just not working out for me. I'll just go home, it's easier. But no, no, he's expecting great things from God, a passion to see many people in that country saved. So he persisted, he pushed on. He's attempting great things for God and God used him in great ways. In the face of trials, temptations, was God shutting the door on him? Was God opening the You can tie yourself in knots sometimes thinking about that. But with this, I think it brings to attempt, expect great things from God. Take it to him in prayer. Bring it to him. If it's so big on your heart, continually bring it to Him. Don't just pray it once and let it go. Continually bring it to Him. But also attempt great things for God. And actually, can I do something to be the answer to this prayer for God to open those doors? I think there's a lesson here. It's a tension we come to all the time. But there's real-life stories of people doing this stuff and really making, putting themselves in vulnerable positions but trusting God in the process. I encourage you, whatever's going on in your life, Bring it to God. And also look for opportunities to see how God might use you to be the answer to those prayers as well. And we can pray about that as well. Uh, let me pray for us all. Dear Father God, we just confess to you that sometimes life is really hard, particularly when we think we know the answers to our future, what we need and we want. Lord, and we put it before you and even trust you that those things might be fulfilled. But yet sometimes we wait and often left disappointed. 
Lord, we just pray for wisdom. Wisdom to know how to trust you, how to keep coming back to you with our prayers, depending on you as our protector provider. But Lord, also give us the wisdom to know when to act, when to be vulnerable, when to put ourselves out there so that you might uh, do what it takes for us to be part of the solution to our prayers. Lord, we pray for those around us, those in need. And we just don't want to pray for them that uh, you fix their problems. But Lord, use us to be a part of the solution because that's what a church does. That's what a family does. So Lord, I pray that we'll be a testimony to what we've been challenged with this morning. Lord, guide us, we pray, particularly when we're troubled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.